Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll just be looking at one verse uh, in our opening uh, reading, but then we'll be looking at the entire chapter through the message tonight. Look down at verse number 34. Verse number 34 here, uh, Peter has walked into the presence of Cornelius. He's walked into his house. And Peter, the Bible says in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And we're going to get our sermon title out of that verse right there. The title of the sermon is this, God is no respecter of persons. It does not matter what your background is. It does not matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter how much money you do or don't have. God respects all folks the same. God loves all folks the same. And when we get in line with the heartbeat of God, then we'll love others just the way God does. So that's the title of the sermon this evening, and we'll see how this whole thing unfolds, and we'll get some history as we go along. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we look at this passage of of Scripture. Lord, we see how you take flawed men, and you do a flawless work. You take uh, men that are filled with sin and error and even sometimes prejudice, and you get them to do a work that only you could do. And Lord, it's great to see your hand of work present in this chapter Lord, to be able to see all the moving parts. And uh, God, uh, we don't always get those opportunities in our encounters but uh, to see that. But Lord, we trust and know that your hand is still at work. And so Lord, help us to be busy doing the work of the Lord. Move us tonight. Help us all to, be, uh, to, to grow as a result of the passage that is studied and preached tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, stick with this word at the beginning of the sermon, and the word is prejudice. What is prejudice? Dictionary.com defines prejudice this way, one of several definitions it offers. Here's how they define it. Unreasonable feelings, opinions, or attitudes, especially of a hostile nature, regarding an ethnic, racial, social, or religious group. I think that's a pretty accurate Definition. Prejudice has existed since at least Genesis chapter number 6 when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and men were great in the earth. And ever since then, or maybe even before then, there has been prejudice that has existed in the earth. It's been an issue we've had to deal with for thousands of years. Prejudice comes in all shapes and sizes. Ethnic prejudice comes from assuming that you are better than others because of the country or culture in which you were born. It can also take shape when you put one country or culture below all other cultures and ethnic prejudice. Now, I'm all for American exceptionalism and believing in America and loving our country, but please understand that the people walking around in another country are not any less of people and are not any less loved by God uh, than you are. I'm all for patriotism and uh, being uh, proud to be an American and all those things. But listen, uh, people who are born in China or born in uh, Latin America or were born in Africa or born in Europe, hey, listen, God loves them just the same as He loves us. Um, racial prejudice comes from assuming people that happen to have uh, your skin tone are in some way superior. To all others, it can also take shape when you put one hue of skin color below all others, and so racial prejudice. Racial, racial prejudice exists in our world today. It is highlighted and emphasized and talked about 
ad nauseum. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, at least not right now. How about religious prejudice? Religious prejudice comes from assuming your religion makes you superior to all other people of the earth that do not share your religion. Likewise, it can be from unfairly putting the people of one particular religion below all other people. Now, I'll say this. uh, I am uh, crystal clear a Christian. I believe the Bible is God's word. I am a Baptist by conviction. But that doesn't mean that God loves me any less than he loves people who adhere to the Muslim faith or to the Hindu faith. God loves everyone all the same. And we should never, ever, ever put someone down or treat someone as though they're less because they hold to a particular religion. No, God's love is for all the world, whether you are uh, red, yellow, uh, brown, uh, or white, or black, whatever the skin tones are, however they're labeled, uh, whatever country you're from, whatever your religious upbringing is, uh, God loves all folks just the same. Does prejudice exist in our world? I think the obvious answer is yes. We live in a world that is broken by sin. And uh, where sin abounds, prejudice is likely to abound. Uh, this, uh, the, the answer to such prejudice, as we'll see in our passage this evening, is to get our hearts in line with God. Why? Because God is no respecter of persons. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. And James in his epistle tells us that prejudice in us is a sin. James 2 9, the Bible says, but if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And so if I put a particular person up or a particular group of people up above another group of people, or I want to assume I'm above other people and I'm being a respecter of persons, that is wrong. That is sin. And the Lord did not do that. And uh, the Lord does not expect you or I to do that. Furthermore, in heaven one day, uh, people from every nation and tribe and tongue will gather together and will worship Jesus together. Now, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Uh, A number of times in the book of Revelation, this phrase, every kindred and tongue and people and nation, is listening. I just want to say tonight that if you have a problem with someone else uh, who's in a different socioeconomic class than you are, or you have a problem with someone who's of a different racial tone or ethnic background than you are, God very well may have you stand right next to them in the choir of heaven and sing aloud and praise the Lord. There is no prejudice in heaven. Now, are there race, races in heaven? Absolutely. Or is there ethnicity in heaven? Absolutely. Will there be an obvious, distinct difference when we get to heaven? Well, according to Revelation chapter 5 and other places, absolutely there will be. But guess what? We're not going to care and we're not going to divide and we're not going to move into small groups and we're not going to try to muscle up or elbow our way up above other people. We'll love each other in perfect harmony. Why? Because God is no respecter of persons and God is called 
each of us to not be a respecter of persons. You may be here this evening, and truth be told, privately you struggle with prejudice toward someone of another ethnicity or race or wealth class. Is, is, uh, if that is you, I just want to say tonight, you are in company with Peter. Yes, the Peter in the New Testament. And by the way, you're probably in company with many other of the disciples who followed Jesus. Peter was a man that struggled with prejudice. In fact, uh, in the book of Galatians, the Bible tells us that Paul had to withstand Peter to the face because he separated from Gentiles to go eat with Jews. And Paul had to get in Peter's face and say, you're wrong and you're prejudiced. You're wrong and you're prejudiced. I don't know if Peter ever got it all the way sorted out, but I know here in Acts chapter 10, God is going to take Peter on a journey to try to show him where his prejudice is out of bounds and show him, show us that God can even use someone like Peter who struggles with this right here to accomplish a great work. I also want to say that the racial tension in our country at this time is quite high. And we need to be understanding toward each other. We need to be loving toward each other. We need to throw water on the fire. We do not need to contribute gasoline to the fire. Listen, if you're here today and you are of white descent, you need to not look at folks of another color and just assume uh, that they're part of the problem. No, you need to assume that uh, you can work toward the solution, toward the solution. We all need to work toward the solution. If you have buried your head in the sand and have not looked at the history of this country, there is a strong uh, uh, root of racial prejudice that goes all the way back uh, to the King of England sending folks over here and racial tensions in our country. I was up in Niagara Falls, New York earlier this week and I saw the place where the bridge used to be where the Underground Railroad had people, go, uh, uh, blacks going into Canada to get away from our racial tension and our racial slavery here in America. And so if you are here today and you want to bury your head in the sand and pretend as though it's never been a problem, you're lying to yourself. That's not fair. However, to have the attitude that we just need to blow the whole thing up and start over, listen, we've made progress. Let's take the progress we've made and let's keep moving forward. And Christians should be at the forefront of helping to move that forward. Amen? We'll see this evening that Peter, God used Peter to accomplish something great. Uh, Peter, who did not like people who were anything other than Jew, but God was going to work in Peter's heart and use him to take the gospel message to those who he viewed as his enemy. And God's going to do some pretty powerful things in Acts chapter 10 in order to move Simon Peter that direction. So let's go verse by verse through Acts chapter 10 and let's see how that God is no respecter of persons and he calls us to be the same. So let's look at five separate observations as we consider this truth. God is no respecter of persons. Okay, thought number one, let's jump in here. Notice number one, Cornelius's devotion. Cornelius's devotion. Look with me at Acts chapter 10, and let's read the first seven verses here. The Bible says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed 
to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was uh, departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him Continually, Okay, let me give you an A, B, and a C uh, under point number one here. Notice about Cornelius' devotion. Notice letter A, his fear of God. His fear of God. Look down at verse number two again of Acts chapter 10. The Bible says, speaking of Cornelius, that he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Now, Peter, or rather Cornelius, was the leader of his home as would have been the case back during this time. There was a strong patriarchy present in the Roman Empire, and he not only was in charge of his home, he led his home to fear God. And Cornelius didn't even know all that meant. Cornelius didn't even know all that he was called to do, but Cornelius had an understanding of God that was limited. He did, however, have a deep reverence to God. There was light put in his heart about God at birth. Cornelius was a Roman centurion and one that sought out out that light about God. He feared the God of heaven, even though he did not know much about him. We looked at uh, uh, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch a few weeks ago, and we said this, that uh, light obeyed brings about more light, and light ignored brings about less light. Here's another case of a man who had no idea of how to get to heaven, seeking the light within him, given to him by his conscience and by creation. And he's following that which is within him, and that light grows, and that light grows. He fears God. Letter A, his fear of God. Notice letter B, his finances for the poor. His finances for the poor. Look back at Acts chapter 10 and look at verse number 2. The Bible says, A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, look here, which gave much alms to the poor, or to the people rather. To whom did Cornelius give money? Well, the Bible does not say. But uh, I'm going to speculate a possibility here. Um, Could it be that he felt pity? toward the Jews that he oversaw? Could it be that he was giving money to the poor Jews who were under the very hand of the Roman Empire that he was a part of? The Bible says uh, that later on in the chapter, we'll see the Bible says that the Jews respected Cornelius. Well, if um, uh, most Roman centurions were not respected by the Jews. In fact, they were hated by the Jews. But here Cornelius is being kind and friendly to the Jews, possibly even giving money to them in their enslaved state, possibly, possibly doing this. But we see here he's giving alms to the people. This is a man who is a giver, not a taker. He fears God. He's investing his finances for the poor. Let her see, notice, his fasting and praying. His fasting and praying. Look down at Acts chapter 10 and verse number 2 again. The Bible says, A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, look here, and prayed to God always. This man was in a spirit, constant spirit of prayer. Look at verse number 30. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 30. 
and here Cornelius is recounting uh, the events to uh, Peter. And we see in verse number 30, the Bible says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. How devoted was Cornelius to find God? So devoted that he was skipping meals and praying in that time. He was saying, God, I want to know who you are. Reveal yourself to me. He's fasting and he's praying and an angel appears to him and gives him some special instructions. We'll look at that part of the story in just a moment. Now, James chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us what? Draw nigh unto God and he will what? Draw nigh unto you. Here Cornelius is taking steps toward God, and God is taking steps toward Cornelius. Someone says, how could God send someone to hell who's never heard the gospel? And again, Romans 1 tells us that we all have creation and a conscience that will lead us more and more toward the light. And if people, no matter where they are, where they live, if they will walk toward that light, God will go as far as sending an angel to that person to make sure that they will get the gospel. No one will stand before God one day uh, innocently and say, I didn't know or I couldn't have known. No, that's not true. Everyone can walk outside and look up and see the skies. And everyone can understand the conscience that's been put within them. All of us have a bend toward, a leaning toward God. No matter where you're born or where you live or what religion you're given at birth, we all have the ability to do that. And one day we'll stand before God and we will give an account for that. Cornelius's devotion, number two, notice Peter's dream. Peter's dream. Look at Acts chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 9 down through verse 16. The Bible says, On the morrow... As they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Now, I've been so hungry before that I've gone stir-crazy, but I don't know that I've ever been so hungry that I've gone into a trance. That's hungry right there. And uh, he's staying in someone's house, and so he's got to wait on them to fix the food. Look at verse 11. And saw heaven open, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowl of the air. I bet there was a pig in there for some bacon. Amen? And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, uh, what, uh, what God hath cleansed, thou call not, uh, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Quickly here in A to B, notice letter A. His test, his test. Um, Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 13 tells us that a blanket was lowered down with all kinds of unclean animals. And um, he's told, arise, kill, and eat. Arise, kill, and eat. This is a test for Peter. And is Peter going 
to pass the test. God is telling him to do something that is his his conscious, his body, his upbringing screams, no, don't do it. But God himself in this trance is telling him, Peter, it's okay. I'm telling you, you can do it. And we hear in verse, uh, let's see here. Uh, Well, verse number uh, 14, uh, Peter says, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Uh, That is an oxymoronic statement. To call God Lord, you're my master, I'll do whatever you want. Not so, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And uh, why was this a, a trial that Peter would have a hard time with? Notice letter B, his traditions. His traditions. Look at 14. Let's read from 14 through 16 again. The Bible says, But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Uh, this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, ever since that Peter was a little guy, ever since he was born, he had been taught, as all Hebrews are, not Orthodox Hebrews, especially Hebrews in his day, uh, Hebrews in his day, that you are to eat kosher. There is clean meat and there is unclean meat as laid out in the Mosaic Law and don't eat the unclean meat. And very clear specifications had been given uh, under the Mosaic Law. Here they are thousands of years removed and they're still stringently following this, stringently following this. And Peter says, I have never eaten anything like that. I don't have an appetite for that. I don't have a desire for that. I won't do it. What's the conclusion that I draw out of this? Well, tradition is a powerful thing. As a Hebrew man, Peter had been taught from a small child that unclean animals were off limits. Now God is telling him, arise, kill, and eat. God was telling him that the tradition that he had been taught, he was to defy. Three times Peter refused to obey his Lord because of his upbringing. Will you find your way over to Mark chapter number 7 and verse number 13? Would you turn over there for me, Mark chapter 7, 13? Traditions are funny things. And traditions get in the way of us and our relationship with God oftentimes. Um, We fall into a trap. It's a tradition trap. Another word for it is formalism, where we fall in love with a set of traditions, and the traditions become more important than truth. And um, the Bible tells us in Mark 7, verse number 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. What was God saying here? That the all-powerful Word of God can be limited but because people are in love with traditions. In love with traditions. What kept Peter from being obedient to God in this trance? His upbringing, his traditions, what he'd been told was right. Here God is telling him to go against his traditions and he cannot find it within himself to do it. Here we see he's trapped by traditions. Now, many saved people, many people rather get saved and have a whole lot of sinful traditions that can take a while to, get, to work through. Uh, one example of this would be watching football and drinking beer. You, you know, when I, when I watch football, uh, I, I, I won't watch commercials because every other commercial is a beer commercial. And what have we been told by culture? We've been told that you can't watch football without drinking beer. 
And football and beer go together. No, they don't. No, they don't. By the end of the fourth quarter, I want to understand what happened. And if I'm drunk, I'm not going to understand what's going on. Um, I can drink a Coca-Cola or a sweet tea or a glass of water and enjoy the game all the same. And someone gets saved and football comes on, and what do they want to do? They want to go right back to drinking that beer and watching that football. Traditions can be hard to shed. But listen, even within a religious realm, I get tickled sometimes at people who've been coming here for 20 or 30 years, and they still refer to our church service as a mass. A mass. And uh, old habits die hard. And I've never corrected anyone that's done it, but inwardly I am laughing hysterically. Outwardly I've got a a respectful face. Inwardly I'm getting a chuckle out of that. We had uh, one man coming here for a while, a long time ago, and uh, he came to, up to me after about two months of attending. I led him to the Lord at his door. And he was coming faithfully for a couple of months. I ended up baptizing him, and uh, he's still attached to our church loosely. But he um, he came up to me and he said, Father. And I said, well, I go by Pastor. He said, Pastor, where is the confessional booth? And I said, it's your closet at home. You just go straight to heaven and tell the Lord. We don't have one of those around here. And I took him to the book of Hebrews, and I explained all that to him. And, man, his eyes got real big. He said, you mean I don't have to tell you what I've done wrong? I said, no, please don't tell me what you've done wrong. Just go straight to heaven and tell the Lord. But traditions can get in the way, and Peter's traditions were tripping him up. As we will see in just a minute, this vision or dream had a double meaning. This wasn't just about God doing away with Jewish dietary laws. While that was part of what this dream was about, the Jewish dietary laws no longer apply to us in part because of this vision. Uh, But furthermore, God was challenging Peter about the prejudice that he had had been had that had been instilled in him toward non-Jews and especially toward the Romans since he was a small child. His prejudice ran deep and now God was dealing with him about his sin and dealing with him through this dream, through this uh, uh, trance. Number one, Cornelius' devotion. Number two, Peter's dream. Number three, notice the Spirit's direction. The Spirit's direction. Now, all the while in the background, the Spirit of God is at work. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek, which is um, uh, the cause whereof ye are come. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, there's the good relationship with the Jews part, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went... went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, the command, the command. Look down at verse number 19 with me again. Notice here the Bible says, And Peter thought on the vision. 
The Spirit said unto him, Behold, notice that capital S Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit of God, speaking directly to Peter within his spirit. Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So God sends a vision or a trance to Peter, a blanket's lowered with unclean animals, and he's told to arise, kill, and eat, and he doesn't want to do it. He wakes up from this dream. He's thinking, meditating on what does this mean. All the while, Cornelius had sent three of his servants to find uh, the house of Simon the Tanner where Peter was dwelling and knocks on the gate. And all the while, uh, and, and the Spirit of God says to, to, to Peter, he says, go down, there's three men uh, that are waiting on you. And you, you go down and talk with them and receive them. I have sent them to you. The command was to go and receive them and follow them back to Cornelius, letter B, notice the complexities. The complexities. Now this sub-point is very key to the message tonight, and so if you've been daydreaming or wandering in your mind, please dial in just for the next few minutes and really give me your extra attention. Uh, where does prejudice come from? Where does prejudice come from? Well, uh, with Peter, this was not the easiest command for him to follow. You understand that since he was just a child, he had grown up being told by his parents that Jews are superior to Gentiles and the worst of Gentiles are the Romans that push us around and tell us what to do. For Peter, his prejudice came from his parents. I, I grew up in the southeast until I was 16 years old. I saw prejudice on a regular basis. I don't know that it is as prevalent down there today as it was when I was a boy, but please understand that the church I got baptized in as a small boy up until the late 90s would not baptize a black man. The pastor left and a new pastor came in and um, uh, the very first Sunday he was the pastor, he baptized a black man and when he came down the stairs from the baptistry, three deacons stood there and said, what do you think you're doing? And he said, there's a new sheriff in town that things are going to be different. And if you don't like it, I'll assume you're, uh, you're tendering your resignation and you're leaving the church. They left him alone. That was as late, uh, that, that was as recently as the late 90s. Now, why were those men so prejudiced? Because from the time that they were little boys, they were told that white people were good and black people were bad. Is that right? Absolutely not. Can you understand how somebody could become that way when they're brainwashed that way from a child? Now, I thank God that America has made a lot of progress. While I didn't agree with all of the politics of President Obama, I was really glad in 2008 to see that America had gotten to a place where we could vote a black man into office. I, I saw that as progress in America in this area specifically. Here we have Peter. He has a problem with, with non-Jews, specifically Romans, because his whole life he had been told by his parents that these folks were evil. Where else does prejudice come from? And I, again, this list I have here is not all-inclusive, and I'm sure we could brainstorm and come up with many, many other places, but I have down three for the sake of brevity and the second one I put down was our experiences, our experiences. 
before you become so passionate and angry at someone who holds to a strong viewpoint that you disagree with, maybe for a moment stop and realize that they didn't have the upbringing that you have. Maybe understand that they have experienced things that you haven't experienced. You know, uh, the Romans kept a heavy hand rule over the Jews. It was common to see crucifixions. We hear about Jesus' crucifixion. The crucifixion was a very normal thing that took place in that time. Imagine walking into Jerusalem and off on a hill you see your Jewish brethren hanging up on a cross and Roman centurions standing there. Can you see how those experiences would maybe make you not like the Romans so much? Maybe you've seen someone who um, maybe was a little aggressive in town that was one of your Jewish brethren and a Roman took out his sword and sliced off his arm or cut off his ear or bullied him around a little bit. Can you see maybe while those experiences would have caused some prejudice in Peter's heart? I've met my share of black and brown people that don't like white people. And I have to say that because I've never lived life through their purview, I'm not going to judge them for that. A good friend of mine that lives down in North Carolina is, is a black man. His name is Floyd. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. When there are racial tensions in this country that I have a hard time understanding, I call him. He and I have very candid talks and he shares with me how people that are black may see things and how things are maybe a little bit different for them. He tells me stories about being pulled over by the police just because he was black and he was doing nothing wrong. I have no reason to doubt his stories. And he understands the problems with black-on-black crime. He's got a very level head on his shoulders. But can you see how that people raise under certain circumstances and being told things as children growing up could get where Peter is? Can you understand the complexities that maybe aren't so black and white? Excuse the phrase there. I, I, I don't mean any double meaning by that. I mean it in the sense of uh, clear and unclear. Can you understand how maybe the world isn't just as simple as you wish it was? I wish that we could just take all prejudice and wash it away, but people in America and people around the world that aren't the same skin color as you have been hurt by people that are your skin color, and maybe instead of, of, of shouting down to them and preaching a sermon at them, you take a half a step back and you try to understand where they're coming from. Peter here did not like the Romans. Peter had a reason to not like the Romans. I wrote one other down, and... Uh, Peter's politics would have kept him from liking non-Jews because Peter's politics involved wanting to be a free nation as a Jewish man and instead they were under Roman rule and felt oppressed. The complexities of this command. You see, we do a service reading of Acts 10 and say, oh, well, God got Peter and Cornelius together and Cornelius got saved. Please understand that uh, Peter, uh, people like Peter did not like 
people like Cornelius. And people like Cornelius did not like people like Peter. God had to do some extra special things in the background to bring these two men together. And praise God that Peter had a tender enough heart to look past the prejudice within him and say, I'm going to obey God and I'm not going to obey my feelings. Letter C, we see Peter's compliance. Acts chapter 10. Listen, I understand that I'm saying some touchy, sensitive things tonight. Not everyone in the room is going to agree with everything that I'm saying. And I would just ask you to show grace. I, I, am, I am saying what I'm saying with all of the sincerity I can muster up and all of, uh, of the uh, Spirit of God working within me that I can. I have prayed more over preaching this sermon than maybe any sermon I've preached in a long, long Long, long time. And, I, and I've asked God to lead me and guide me. Look at me at verse number 21 here. And understand now the place that Peter was coming from. Look at 21. The Bible says, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, take that approach up against Jonah's approach. You remember Jonah? God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah looks at the Ninevites, the Assyrians in the city of Nineveh, and said, I hate those people. You know, Jonah had a prejudice problem too. But Jonah did the opposite thing that Peter did. Jonah got in a boat and he went toward Tarshish. And God had to put him in a well's belly before he got him into Nineveh. And Peter here... We, we read this story and think, well, okay, Peter brings these guys in, gives them a bed to sleep in, gives them some food to eat, and off he goes with them tomorrow. Big deal. No, no, this is a big deal. This went against everything inside of Peter. Alarms were going off. Roman centurion, not good, not good. These are the people that put my Savior on the cross. But he brings them in, and he houses them, and he feeds them, and he gets up the next morning, and he obeys the calling of God. Why? Because as the Spirit led, even when it wasn't easy, He obeyed anyway. Number four, notice Peter's discernment. Peter's discernment. Look at Acts chapter 10 and let's read from 24 down through 35. The Bible says, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God hath showed me that I shall not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, 
Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are uh, had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I uh, sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And A and a B here, notice letter A, racial prejudice is a sin. Racial prejudice is a sin, and really any prejudice is a sin, but uh, specifically the passage here is dealing with racial prejudice. Look back at verse number 28, and let me show you how that racial prejudice was baked into the cake of that time. Verse 28, and he said unto them, Ye know that, uh, that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. How, how much was it normal for racism, prejudice, to be there? It was against the law for Peter to do what he was doing. Peter was not supposed to be there. Um, the, the, the racial tensions ran so deep that Peter was violating the very laws of the land to be even having any sort of a conversation uh, there uh, with Cornelius, much less to go into his home and minister to him there. Listen up, we have our problems here in, in the 21st century in the U.S. of A. and Western culture. It was far worse right here. It was far worse right here. Look down at verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Based on everything that's happened, this vision I've had and the blanket being lowered down and God telling me that which is common and unclean is not and that I'm to move forward with this, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You know, I wondered as Peter was making the journey from Joppa to uh, Caesarea, if he didn't think back to his time of walking around with Jesus, I wonder if he thought about the Syrophoenician woman who um, uh, the Lord healed uh, her daughter who was demon-possessed. And um, I wonder if he didn't think about Jairus, the Roman centurion whose daughter was sick and then died and Jesus went in and raised her from the dead there in Capernaum. Um, Jesus clearly had a mission in his time to be there for the Jewish people. But Jesus took time to love and help people that weren't Jewish. And Peter had to really do a lot of introspecting in his heart. And he had to come to the conclusion that I have been given this prejudice since I was a child, but this prejudice is a sin. God is no respecter of persons. So then what is the standard? If being Jew for Peter wasn't the standard to be saved, then what was the standard? Let her be. Notice fearing God is the standard. Fearing God is the standard. Verse number 35 might be the most beautiful verse in the entire chapter, chapter 10 there. Look there. It says, But in every nation, every nation, every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He that feareth him. Fearing God is the standard. It doesn't really matter what country you're born in. 
It doesn't really matter what color your skin is. It doesn't really matter how much you're worth or how much in debt you are. Listen, if you have a fear of God in your heart and you are pursuing God in that fear, that's the standard to be saved. You know what it means when we put ourselves in camps and pretend that one camp is better than another? That's called tribalism. Tribalism is a sin. Listen, God looks down and He sees every tribe and nation and tongue and ethnicity and wealth class and God says, I love them all the same. I think sometimes, whether we realize we're doing it or not, we'll look at how wealthy we are and we'll decide on how much God loves us based on how many garage doors are attached to our house or what, how expensive our car is or on whether or not we have a bed to sleep in. And I just want to ask you a question. Does God love you more than He loves the children around the world that are going hungry tonight? Does God love you more than He loves the children whose bodies are riddled with cancer? And You know, many of them don't have a children's hospital. You know, they're laying in their mother's arms and they're dying tonight, sometimes while sleeping out under the stars. We can't measure God's love by our prosperity. We measure God's love by the cross. And did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for every human being that was ever born? Somewhere tonight, there's a person, a group of people who live in some uncivilized region of the world. I think about my wife's country, Peru. Peru has a part of the country that's the Amazon jungle. And this culture bleeds over into Brazil, and there's parts of Brazil that have this same culture. Now, where my wife's from, and in most of Peru, it's very civilized and looks very much like it does here. About five-minute walk from my wife's house is a mall that would rival any mall here in America. But in that part of Peru, people are tribalistic. Walk around with very little on. They're barbaric. Do you know that God loves them just as much as He loves you? Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for them just like He died for you? Those people that live in that Amazon jungle that don't have culture, God's given them creation and He's given them a conscience. And as they seek out God, well, God is waiting and ready to save their soul just like He saved yours. Peter here had seen a great revival take place in Jerusalem. He had traveled to Samaria where he and John had laid hands on those who had gotten saved under the ministry of Philip. Peter had gone to uh, various cities as he was doing his uh, routine and ended up in Joppa where he had raised Tabitha from the dead. We saw a couple of weeks ago and then realizes that the gospel isn't just for Jews and it's not even for half-Jews. The gospel is for everyone. Number five, lastly, notice Cornelius' decision. Cornelius' decision. Letter A, notice the gospel explained. 
Peter then goes in and he gives the gospel to Cornelius and all those who had gathered together in Cornelius' home. He was a man of great influence. No doubt many had gathered. Look at verse number 36. The Bible says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel preached peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him and we are witnesses of all things which uh, he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem uh, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen uh, bef- uh, before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which w- uh, was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead to him give all the prophets witness that through through his name whosoever believeth in him shall have uh, shall receive remission of sins and and Peter here very eloquently explains the house uh, the, uh, the present that Jesus was born that he died on the cross he rose from the dead and all that turned to him whosoever including gentile including romans whosoever turned to him can be saved, will be saved. And so Peter lays out the gospel uh, for Cornelius and his household. Let her be noticed, the Gentiles empowered. And I just want to say this evening, I'm so glad that God saves Gentiles. That's why I'm on my way to heaven. Amen? If the gospel was just for the Jews, then we would all be condemned uh, to hell. But no, God does not save Jew. He saves this old French boy right here. He saved this Gentile right here. And unless you're a Jew in here tonight, you ought to be thankful that God saves Gentiles like you. Look down at verse number 44. We see something incredible happen. The Bible says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, those of the Jews, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, we'll look at 47 and 48 here in just a moment. What happened here? What happened here? Uh, They got saved and the Holy Ghost came down and fell upon them. Now we've been looking at this all throughout the book of Acts. But when a people of a particular people group first got saved, there was a special entrance of the Holy Ghost in them, and usually something extra special happened. Now again, Romans 8 tells us that um, it is instantaneous that the Holy Ghost comes in and indwells the believers, but we saw that uh, they were filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 1, uh, the Jews were, and then we saw uh, just a few chapters later that uh, the hands were laid on the Samaritans and uh, they received the Holy Ghost upon the laying on of hands. And now here with the Gentiles, we have what we'll call a Gentile type Pentecostal meeting where the tongues are being spoken. This is a sign uh, given to the Jews, given to the Jews that God is dealing now directly with the Gentiles. That wall has been broken down. There is to be no more barrier between Jew and Gentile. What once was labeled unclean is no longer to be called unclean. The Gentiles 
were empowered. The Gentiles were given the gift of the Holy Ghost. Letter C, lastly notice, the Great Commission exercise. The Great Commission exercise. Look at verse 47. Can any man, again, Peter says in the end of verse number 46, then answered Peter, verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they uh, him to, to tarry certain days. And to Peter's credit, not only does he preach the gospel, not only does he see the Holy Ghost come down, he doesn't just wash his hands and walk away. You remember Jonah? Jonah walked into Nineveh a day's journey, and he preached the shortest sermon in the entire Bible, and then he turned around and walked out, and he went up on top of a cliff, and he sat there and he waited. What was he waiting for? Fire to fall and the place to be destroyed! And uh, Peter didn't just go do his, you know, obligation... And get out of there. No, Peter said, hey, not only am I going to lead you to Christ and watch the Holy Ghost enter you, I'm also going to take you to a pool of water and I'm going to baptize you. Now, it is important that we point this out each time it lands in the book of Acts and throughout the Bible. But listen now, baptism always follows believing. Every single time. Um, you cannot baptize a baby, number one, if you submerge it in water, you'd run the risk of hurting it, if not killing it, all right? Uh, but a baby can't believe, because a baby doesn't even understand it's a sinner. And uh, you can't find a single baby in the whole Bible that was baptized. Not one. Not one. And so we believe the Bible around here, baptism follows believing every single time in Scripture. The uh, Ethiopian eunuch asked, Here is water, what doth enter me to be baptized? Philip's response was, Believest thou that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? And he says, I do. And so uh, Philip baptized him. And here we see that after they believed, they were baptized. And so if you're here tonight and you have believed in Jesus to be your Savior, but you've yet to be baptized, this is the next step of obedience in Christ. Furthermore, being baptized does not save you. We don't get baptized to get saved. We got baptized because we got saved. I didn't put this wedding ring on to be married. I put this wedding ring on because I got married. You understand? Those two are tied closely together, but they are uh, successive. They're not together. And so here we see that as they believed or after they believed, they got baptized. Now, uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 28. And uh, let's look at some familiar verses. I want to show you here that Peter did his due diligence. He preached to them the gospel. He baptized them. And then I believe that those several days that they tarried there at Cornelius' house, Peter was busy discipling Cornelius. Look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. The Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You see there where it says all nations? Jesus did not just tell the disciples to go to the Jews. He didn't tell them to just go to the half-Jews. He told them, take the gospel to every single human being alive. Take the gospel to all nations. When I say the Great Commission exercise, now Peter's way out of his comfort zone here. So far so, God would have to call Paul, in order to be the, the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, because Peter just 
while he overcame it this one time, I think it would have been tough for him to do what Paul did with the fervency that Paul did it here. But give Peter credit, even though he was a man raised with Jewish prejudice, he stepped out of his comfort zone and he's preaching the gospel to an Italian man, a man of Rome, a man who's a centurion. Notice the next part of it there, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe, this is the discipleship side of it, all things whatsoever I have commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so what did Peter do? He went into Cornelius' home, who is of a different nation. He preached to him the gospel. He baptized him. He tarried there many days and most likely discipled uh, them. And so the Bible tells us in, in, uh, in, in one of the... Uh, uh, epistles to Peter. I believe it's 1 Peter 3 9. The Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All, everyone, all right? Everyone should come to repentance. What are some practical ways that we can help heal our divided country? Let me just give you four, and I'd encourage you to flip that half sheet over, and I believe they'll be on the screen tonight. Is that correct? No, they won't be on the screen. Okay. But, uh, so you'll just have to listen intently. And let me encourage you to write these things, uh, four things down. Number one, number one, embrace the gospel. Embrace the gospel. Um, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the answer to our country's problems. You all understand that? The answer is not a political answer. The answer is a spiritual answer. The gospel heals. That brings us to number two. Write this down. Understand that Satan divides and the gospel unites. Understand that Satan divides and the gospel unites. We have people in the room tonight of every sort of different... We have people from uh, all sorts of different parts of the world and uh, folks of different color in the room tonight. And I just want to say, wherever you stand... Whatever your perspective or view or purview on racial divide in this country is, please understand that it is Satan's goal to take anything he can and divide us. He is the master of sowing discord. He is the father of all lies. Don't fall into his trap of divisiveness. We don't need a social gospel. We need the gospel. That's what we need. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the answer. We need to get busy believing it, understanding it, preaching it, using it. Understand, understand that Satan divides and the gospel unites. Number three, take the gospel to those whom you dislike the most. Take the gospel to those whom you dislike the most. If you're here tonight and you have a problem with people that are a different color skin than you are, then you need to get a pocket full of tracts in the New Testament and you need to head to those neighborhoods every single week for the next two years and give the gospel to anyone and everyone that will listen to you. I promise you, you'll lose your prejudice real fast. Well, I don't want to see them people uh, in our church. Shame on you. Shame on you. A healthy church reflects the demographics of the community at large. And I, I love our church is diverse. It could be more diverse. 
I wish it was more diverse. But the fact that our church is diverse as it is shows that as a church, uh, we're doing our part and we're getting the gospel out everywhere. You've got a track that's burning a hole in your pocket and you see someone uh, there who uh, maybe doesn't think the way you do or act the way you do. Hey, listen, uh, you see someone with a Black Lives Matter sticker on the back of their car, you be real sweet and kind and you walk up with a gospel track and you say, Hey, let me give you this and tell you about my Jesus. You understand that that right there is the answer. You see someone wearing a Donald Trump Make America Great Again hat, don't you turn and go the other way. You take a gospel track and you walk up to them and say, hey, let me tell you about my Jesus. He's probably not saved anyway, amen? Y'all can smile, all right? I'm trying to crack a joke. Some of y'all are, well, I, I wear that hat. You're saying I'm not, I'm not saying anything. Settle down, all right? Um, listen, you need to take the gospel to the people who you have the greatest problem with. Now, God will help heal your prejudiced heart real fast. Number four, pray for those who struggle with prejudice. Pray for those who struggle with prejudice. Our media and our politicians, the worst label they can put on someone is the label of being a racist. And that term is thrown around way, way, way too much. I think if we'd quit emphasizing it so much, probably it would just, a lot of it would take care of itself. Not all the way, totally. Instead of looking at someone who you know has prejudice in their heart, and I'll just, I'll just, just say this real quick right here. As the pastor, I have a pretty good idea of which ones of you in here struggle with it. Aren't you glad that I don't look at people who struggle with prejudice and write them off as the pastor and say, well, I, you know what? I know where they stand on things. I hate them. Oh, no, no, no. You know what I do? I get on my knees and I pray for you. And I ask God to help you. Understand that if God can use Peter, a prejudiced man, then God can use anyone. Do you know that prejudice is just as much of a sin as pride and lying? Instead of writing someone off and pushing them to the side, maybe you get down on your knees and you pray for them. You ask God to help them. Hey, why don't Baptist Church? Let's do our part to help heal this land. Let's do our part to take the gospel to a community, to a world that is hurting and broken. Let's take the gospel to every single person who will listen. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, the sermon tonight is a heavy topic. But Lord, a very important one. Lord, we need a church full of people that have a heart of compassion, not a heart of, of, of being judgmental. And Lord, above all, we need Peters who will take the gospel to people like Cornelius. Lord, one angle that we didn't cover much tonight was the fact that Peter preached the gospel. Lord, he was compliant. He listened. He obeyed. For many of us here tonight, we're too busy getting our news from a fox or a peacock. We're not busy enough just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone that will listen. Help us tonight to be committed to a heart of evangelism. May we look at people with compassion, with a tear in our eye. May we love each person that you put in our path. 
Help us to be the change we want the world to have and see. Lord, help us tonight. Be with our time of invitation. Lord, help us to make decisions tonight about our soul-winning hearts. Help us to understand that the gospel is the answer. Help us not only stand it with our heart, but Lord, to our head, but Lord, to live it with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.